My mum took me aside when I was 15. And she said, Rob, I know you have to mix with kids who have more money than us. But I want you to know this, you're as good as anybody. You're not better than anybody, but you are as good as anybody and treat all with respect. And she said, Rob, I want you to know this, you are special to God and one day you will know how precious that is. What a thing to send a kid into a world with. Well, the truth is every one of us can share that kind of encouragement and perspective with our children that there's a God who loves them deeply and has a great plan for their life. This is Focus on the Family with Focus president and author Jim Daly. I'm John Fuller, and that's storyteller Rob Parsons, who's back with us for a second day to share life lessons that he's picked up along the way and how you can best encourage your child to be the person God wants them to be. And John, let me just add that uh, several years ago, I started journaling uh, my memories uh, for my boys, Trent and Troy. And my goal was to pass along what bits of wisdom I could, uh, preserving memories of their childhood, funny things they said, little uh, character development things that I noticed. And uh, those journals are ready, and I'm still trying to decide when to give them to them, but probably at 18. In the same way, I think Rob Parsons must have a trunk full of journals filled with incredible stories that he's accumulated through the years, stories filled with wisdom that uh, he wants to pass along to his grandchildren. And that was the goal in his book, The Wisdom House. And he spoke to a group of Focus supporters last fall when he was here in Colorado Springs. And we wanted to share those thoughts with you now. As uh, you mentioned last time, Jim, Rob has been a longtime friend and partner with Focus on the Family. Uh, he founded Care for the Family in Cardiff, Wales, and uh, their team has... Uh, an outreach that's very similar to focus on the family and what they do there in the UK. Uh, Rob is a gifted storyteller, mm -hmm. and uh, you're going to hear that now as we listen to more from Rob Parsons on today's Focus on the Family. I wish I'd discovered earlier the difference between kids. Now, if even if your kids are grown or, or you've got grandchildren or your friends have got kids, this is true. I wish I'd discovered that earlier. We have two kids, and if you have more than one child, you will normally get chalk and cheese. That is particularly golden if the first one happens to be compliant. Because for a while, you think you're a great parent. Katie was our first. Oh, Kate was so compliant. The first thing Katie did was apologize to midwife for being slightly late. <laughs> Kate used to save her pocket money to buy Shakespeare study guides. Kate used to complain that church services weren't long enough. So for about five, six years, we thought we were fantastic parents. We made the dreadful mistake, and it is a dreadful mistake, of giving other parents negative, critical advice where they're going wrong. You should be more like us. Look at Katie. Be stronger. Ease up a bit there. It's not a good idea. Because when you do that, you make heaven cross. And when you annoy heaven, do you know what happens? There's a little committee up there, and they decide the kind of kid they're going to send you next time. And when they see an arrogant parent with a compliant child, the angel says, have we got any of those others left? <laughs> Lloyd came into the world smoking a cigar. <laughs> that little boy used to wake up every day of his young life with the same prayer on those tiny lips. Dear God, help me drive my mother crazy today. And every day, God answered his prayer. <laughs> you think I'm joking, but I'm not. They're grown with kids of their own now. 
I remember when Lloyd was 14, I did a deal with God. I know you're not meant to do a deal with God. I understand that, but I did. I say, if I can see him with a child that stamps their foot and wags their finger and shakes their head and says, no, you can take me then. And he's got three now. <laughs> little Evie's two. And she stamps her little foot and she wags that thing and she shakes her head. And I think any day now, <laughs> swing low, sweet chariot. And as I'm going up, I'll be yelling down, sweet revenge. <laughs> when he was 14, he said to me, Dad, I don't think this now, but when I was little, I sometimes used to think you loved Katie more than me. <laughs> I understand that, son, I said. Because whenever there was trouble, you were in the middle of it. But I now know that Katie little sneak used to shove some of her trouble onto you. I once heard him say to a friend, if your sister hits you, never hit her straight back. They always catch the second one. <laughs> Here's a couple of lessons about that testing child, no matter what age they are. I don't care whether they're 15 or 55. Number one, you can't fight all the battles. You can fight the homework battle and the smoking battle and the clean the hamster battle and this battle, but you can't fight them all. And if you're a controlling man or woman, you will want to fight them all, but you mustn't. Because if you do, two things will happen. Your child will say, my mum and dad are always on my back. And worse still, they'll never know when something really matters to you. Secondly, don't read their school reports. Is that what you call them, their, their school cards? Don't read their school reports as though they're a prophecy of their future lives. Those reports are important, but they don't measure everything. I remember when I was 14, I brought my report home. There were 34 kids in my class. I had come 34th. In those far-off days, the teachers very cruelly read out the results, beginning with the first. You kind of hoped you'd be in the top 10. But then you heard number 11 and your name still wasn't called. And finally you were into the 20s and 30s. And finally it was just me and Arthur Harris. <laughs> and I look across at Arthur and Arthur looks at me and then I hear my name. The teacher wrote, he is writing no use. He is making no use of what little ability he has. What did he know? Did he not know that some kids' parents couldn't afford tutors? Did he not know that some kids' parents couldn't read and write too well? Did he not know that some kids find a passion later in life and when they do, everything changes? Thirdly, catch him doing something right. I remember having dinner with a very wealthy businessman. I said, tell me about your three kids. He said, my daughter's 29, she's doing a PhD. My other daughter's 26, she's doing an MA. And then he picked up his knife and fork and started eating. I said, tell me about your third child. Oh, he's 19, he's dyslexic. His bedroom's a mess. He, he gets car parking fines, he forgets to pay them. I tell him, you better sharpen up, it's a tough world out there. I said, sir, can you remember when you last praised that boy for anything at all? He said, I really can't. I said, when you go home today, find something he's done remotely well and praise him for it. It will revolutionize your relationship with him. See, all that testing kid here, sometimes when they're two or 62, is you do more of this, do this. They know they're a disappointment. They know that you, you love them to behave like they're more compliant, uh, older brother or younger, more compliant. Catch them doing something right for this reason. When the ear never hears praise, the heart loses the will to try. And sometimes anyway, we miss the wonderful hearts they have. It's true they don't tick all the regular boxes, but they're wonderful friends, they're compassionate, they care for the poor. 
can I say one or two words about prodigals? Number one, many people, especially parents, carry a weight of guilt for prodigals they have no right to carry. However you interpret the creation story, Adam and Eve had the perfect father and the perfect environment, but they went away, their father didn't want them to go. I know there's that lovely verse in Proverbs, bring up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old he won't depart from it, but it's not a guarantee. It's a general principle. Most of the Bible is God the perfect father saying to his kids, how come you went away, I didn't want you to go? There's not a parent on the face of the earth that wouldn't love another shot at it. But some of you in this room may be carrying a weight of guilt for prodigals you have no right to carry. Sometimes our kids make choices, and sometimes they're bad choices. Secondly, we have made prodigals of some kids who were never prodigals at all. They never did turn their back on God, but on something else. And I'm telling you this, some of your prodigals are not so far from God as you think. Let me tell you a typical conversation I've had with parents over prodigals over the years. And listen, before I say any more about this, I believe in the local church. I am in my own local church almost every Sunday morning. I don't miss. I don't like it when Christian leaders don't go to church. But this would be a typical conversation. A couple would come up to me. They're in their 50s or 60s, and they say, you know, my daughter's a prodigal. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah, she lives in London, and, and, oh, and she doesn't go to church anymore. Tell me about your daughter. Is she a good friend? Oh, she's a wonderful friend. She's got a good heart? Oh, she's got a big heart. Does she care for the poor? Oh, yes, you know, she, she, she works sometimes in a shelter. And, wow. Do you think she ever prays? Oh, I'm sure she prays sometimes. Well, she's not doing too badly, is she? But she doesn't go to church. I understand that. But you know what? It might be good for you to ring her up and say, you know what, darling? We love what you're doing there. And, and, we, and catch you doing something right and see something of God in her heart. She knows she's a disappointment to you. She knows that you want her to be like her other brother and sister. But this kid has got something of God in her. Try to find it if you can. Now, I know that's not true of every prodigal. But many of them are not so far from God. A woman wrote to me shortly after I wrote the book. She said, my daughter walked out when she was 18. We didn't see her for six years. We didn't know whether she was alive or dead. Turned her back on us and God. And every night as we turned the lights out in our home, I'd say to my husband, darling, leave the porch light on. And at Christmas, I'd put a little Christmas tree outside the front door, as we used to when she was a child. And Rob, when she was 24, she came back to us and to God. And she said, Mom, I wanted to come home, but I was too ashamed to come home. But some nights in the early hours of the morning, two or three o'clock in the morning, I'd drive into our, our street and I'd sit in my car in the darkness and every house would be dark apart from our house. I knew you left the light on for me. And some mornings I'd sit there and I'd look at the little Christmas tree and I knew it was for me. And I've said to parents all over the world and I say to you if you've got a prodigal, don't ever give up hope. Keep on praying. Always leave a light on. And I would say, if your kids are doing great right now, don't be arrogant. Don't walk into rooms and the first thing you say is, well, I've got four kids and they're all going on with the Lord and they're doing this and that. Thank God for that. But never let it be a boast. Because you don't know what's coming down the road either. For both the ones whose heart are breaking and those who are doing well, prayer is all we've got. We come and we say, Father, touch my kids' lives. You know them, you love them even more than I. Well, sometimes all we can do for our children is pray. And of course, that is the most important thing we do. And often 
that's what they need most. Uh, This is Focus on the Family with Jim Daly. I'm John Fuller, and we're midway through a message today from Rob Parsons as he shares some life lessons that he's learned. This next life lesson deals with being available for God to use you in ways you might not expect. And being open and willing is half the challenge, but stepping outside your comfort zone is the other half. And that was the case for Rob Parsons. About, um, I don't know, two years into our marriage, there was a knock on our door one night and a man stood there in the darkness. It was near Christmas. I recognized him. His name was Ronnie. He used to come to our little Sunday school when we were kids. Educationally challenged, lived in a care home, no family of his own. And somehow now he's found out where I live. By now he was practically living rough. And I open the door, and he's got a black plastic bag with all his worldly possessions in, and in his left hand, a frozen chicken. And I say, it's Ronnie, isn't it? How'd you find me? Well, Rob, some people said you lived here. Where'd you get your chicken? Somebody gave it to me for Christmas. Do you know how to cook it? No, I don't know how to cook my chicken. Well, come on in. Diane will cook a chicken for you. And Diane cooked this chicken. And then she said to him, Ronnie, don't go home. Stay with us tonight. And he stayed that night. And don't go, stay with us another night. And then it was Christmas Eve. Don't go home now. He never left our home. Kids are grown and gone. Ronnie's lived with us over 40 years. When he'd been with us a short time, he got a job as a, we call it dustman, I think you call it trash collector. And I would go into the law practice and I'd drop Ronnie off at the the dust yard and then I'd go into law practice and I'd get home at night and he'd be sat in a chair smiling, giggling every night. And I'd say, Ronnie, when I come home at night, you're always in that chair giggling. What amuses you so much? He said, Rob, when you drop me off at work in the mornings, the other men say to me, who's that brings you to work in the fancy car? And I say, oh, that's my lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I've thought about that. Hey, who'd be proud of being taken to work by a lawyer? I know what it was. He never had a mother when he was five years old taking first day of school. Never had a mother brush away his tears, he went into the schoolyard. Never had a dad say when he was 11, how did it go in the big school today, son? And now he's a man and somebody's at the gate. Ladies and gentlemen, this is fundamental to love. I wish I'd learned this earlier. Marriage, friends, kids, this is fundamental. We all need somebody at the gate. We need to know we matter. And particularly in a marriage, love begins to die when we come to believe we don't matter anymore. We just don't matter anymore. And that's linked to something else. All over the world, I've asked parents particularly, what is the greatest gift a parent can give a child? And all over the world, parents put their hands up, love, love is the greatest gift. They're right, but there's another gift. And if this gift is not given, a child, a husband, wife, a friend will never believe they are loved. It is the gift of acceptance. I think now of a woman, she's 40 years old, she's slim, she's attractive, she looks half her age. And the daughter of 14, slightly overweight, comes into the room. And in my presence, this woman says to her own daughter, You know what, Sarah? I'm 40 and you're 14. And prodding her daughter's tubby stomach, she says, And I'm in better shape than you. Does that woman love her daughter? Yes, she does. She would give her life for her. Does she accept her? No. And it will be hard for that child to believe she is loved. I go to write my books in a little cottage overlooking Carmarthen Bay in Wales. And some years ago, I was walking on the beach. It was a beautiful day. The sun was shining and just lovely. And I said to an old fisherman, it's idyllic, isn't it? 
I don't know if he was tired of tourists or just grumpy anyway. But he said to me, you should see it in January. <laughs> and when I walked on the beach the next day, it was equally beautiful, but I felt the sun and the hills and the sea whispered to me, would you love us in January? Ladies and gentlemen, I'm telling you this, January love comes to every relationship. When we are called not to love because of, but in spite of. January love. I was talking to a young couple the other day. They're mid-twenties. She's crazy and a little girl of six months old. And I say to this young man, why are you leaving your wife and your little girl? Because I don't feel in love anymore. When we were married, I, I was so much in love, but I don't feel like that. I said, did nobody tell you that the feelings of love go up and down? Did nobody tell you that after the birth of a little one, it can be difficult sexually, perhaps not, not so great? Did nobody tell you sometimes you have to fight to keep love alive, to love not just with the, the heart, but with the will? Did nobody ever tell you about January love? And he said, no, nobody told me that. And I look at this little girl. She's six months old, and the first man in her life is about to walk out on her forever. And nobody told him that. January love. And ladies and gentlemen, when we learn to love others like that, there is another step that is much harder. We have to learn how to love God like that. Care for the family run weekends for parents that have children with great challenges. And some time ago, we took away 60 parents. These kids were addicted to illegal drugs. They had physical or emotional challenges. And, and Diana and I were speaking somewhere on the Friday night, and we joined them on the Saturday evening. And, and I come into the room, and they are, got their backs to me, about 60, 70 of them, and they're singing a, a worship song. And I've got my message in my pocket, and I come into the back seat, and suddenly the woman in front of me sinks to the chair, bursts into tears, and rushes out. I go out after her. I say, what is wrong with you? She said, Rob, she said, it was kind of you to come after me. My son's a drug addict, and the dealers caught him and set him on fire. She said he was due to give evidence in court. I begged him not to, but he decided he would give evidence, but he didn't turn up at court. And the police came looking for him, and I went looking for him, and I found him dead in a squat. Two men were seen running from the squat. The police are trying to work out whether he overdosed accidentally, uh, whether he was killed, or whether he took his life. She said, I think they murdered him. And so I comfort her, and then I go back in, and I, I sit right in the front where you are now, Jim. And a woman of about 29, 30 speaking, and she said, my husband and I so wanted children, and then I became pregnant, and... And my little girl was born, and she had Down syndrome. And then she said, my husband contracted cancer shortly afterwards, and he, and he died. She said, my little girl's six years old now. And she said, the other day, I'm in the garden with a friend from church who's unwell, and I'm praying for my friend to be made well. And suddenly, my little girl comes out, and she puts one hand on my friend's arm and one hand in the air, and she begins to pray for my friend to be well. And I think, what on earth can I say to these people? The message that I prepared didn't look anything like as good as when I'd done it. And then it comes to me what I say, and this is what I say to them. Some of you have disabled children, don't you? And they nod. And you wish they were well, don't you? Yes, they nod again. But you love them anyway, and they nod again. And I think they thought I was about to say, that's how God loves you, but I didn't say that. That's how you love God. You don't love God because everything in the garden's fine. You love Him anyway. I hear Christians say, God's blessed my home, my business, my church, my ministry. Isn't God good? Yes. Don't knock that. Be thankful. But that's not the test. 
The test is when you say with an old prophet, though the fig tree shall not blossom, and there be no fruit on the vine, though the produce of the olive fail, and there are no sheep in the stall, still will I rejoice in you. That's the test. And I said, I know some of you think your love and your faith in God is weak, but do you see how precious it is to Him? Because you love Him anyway. And I'm telling you, there's probably a man or woman in this room right now, and you're hanging on to God by your fingertips because life's hard for you. But do you see how precious that is? Because you love Him against the odds. This is love. And finally, and I will finish with this, that gives us the ability to believe that we can be loved. We can be loved. You know, some of us find it so hard to believe that God loves us. Men and women of my age have served God for 50, 60 years. We find it hard to believe God loves us. My mom took me aside when I was 15. And she said, Rob, I know you have to mix with kids who have more money than us. But I want you to know this, you're as good as anybody. You're not better than anybody, but you are as good as anybody, and treat all with respect. And she said, Rob, I want you to know this, you are special to God, and one day you will know how precious that is. What a thing to send a kid into a world with. Do you know what happens to me about once a month? I wake up too early, it's about five o'clock, and a voice in this ear whispers to me, you know what, Rob? If people really knew you, they wouldn't buy your books. They wouldn't come and hear you speak. You're a bit of a hypocrite, to be honest. You don't pray enough. You don't do this enough. You don't do that enough. I get that once a month. But if I'm fortunate, and I think it must be my mum's influence, although it is a voice far higher than her, whispers in this ear, I know you. I know you better than you know yourself. I'm not as impressed with the books and speaking events as you appear to be. <laughs> but I still love you. Rob, nothing you do can make me love you more. Nothing you do can make me love you less. I love you. Now guys, I, I, I don't know you, but sir, you are loved. There's nothing to prove. Madam God loves you. Sir, God loves you. God loves you. It's great when you have that hour's quiet time. I do it every morning. Wonderful. But if you miss, he still loves you. If you've missed for a year, he still loves you. I'm not saying you should miss, but I'm telling you that he still loves you. Keying off the profound truth of the scripture that God loves us unconditionally, that is encouragement from Rob Parsons on today's Focus on the Family. Well, and if we truly understood how deep his love is for us, no matter what, um, I believe we'd approach these everyday moments that Rob's talking about uh, with an entirely different attitude. Uh, Rob's illustrations are really a chance for you to reflect on your own encounters throughout life. Uh, maybe you need to jot a little note or make a journal entry or put something on your smartphone. I just have a little note section on my smartphone just saying little anecdotes, mm -hmm. and I just put them in there. Uh, your recollections of how God has maybe answered a prayer that you've been praying for a while and how he's been uh, faithful to answer you. Maybe it's uh, hard times and you're still waiting for that answer. But whatever it is, your children and grandchildren, I'm sure, will treasure those kinds of memories. I promise you this, the next generation needs to hear those modern day examples of how God is still 
working in our lives. Well, that really is an important reminder for what we need to do as parents uh, for our children in particular. Our program was provided by Focus on the Family. And on behalf of Jim Daly, thanks for listening. I'm John Fuller. We have to remember to let our children know just how much God loves them and how special they are to God. And we also need to remember that God loves us. Rob Parsons really spoke from the heart and he shared some pearls of wisdom for parents to dwell on there. Uh, And if you haven't already heard, Rob Parsons is going to be with us for a tour of events starting on the 23rd of February. Rob Parsons, along with Catherine Hill, Care for the Family UK Director, will be equipping parents in a seminar entitled What Every Parent Has to Know, Bringing Up Kids in a Changing World. Because every parent needs some help with things like setting boundaries, showing unconditional love, navigating the digital world, preparing our kids for the outside world. Don't miss this opportunity as we embrace parenting victoriously. We're also hosting two morning seminars. The Heart of Communication is a masterclass in public speaking where Rob Parsons brings together 50 years of public speaking experience. And then a morning parenting seminar called A Mind of Their Own where Catherine Hill will share practical tools for anyone wanting to strengthen their child's emotional resilience. We will be in Cape Town, Durban and Pretoria from the 23rd of Feb to the 3rd of March. Tickets are only 50 Rand and all the details are at safamily.co.za. I'm Alison Schnell for Focus on the Family Africa, inviting you to join us next time when we'll once again help you and your family thrive in Christ.